G'day and welcome to episode 7 of the Safety at Work Talks podcast. It's the eve of International Workers Memorial Day for 2018 and I uh, interviewed Dr Jerry Ayres just the other day. He's the Occupational Health and Safety and Environment Manager with a branch of uh, one of the major Australian trade unions. This one's the Construction, Forestry, Mining and Energy Union. Jerry is supporting the trade union campaign for the introduction of industrial manslaughter laws in Australia and it seemed the right time to interview him about this campaign and how these laws may fit with the current work, health and safety legislation. So uh, here is the interview with Jerry. It goes for about 30 minutes and I hope you enjoy it. Okay, Jerry, uh, I've seen your photograph on various uh, petitions and flyers about industrial manslaughter laws in Victoria, where the trade union movement is um, is uh, asking people to sign petitions and uh, and pressure the government into bringing in industrial manslaughter laws. Mm-hmm. Um, why is the trade union movement doing this now, and what's the purpose of the uh, of the laws? Um, I think it's time. No, it's 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 time. Um, it sounds a bit like going back to nineteen seventy two, doesn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And it's a bit what the industrial um, campaign is all about. Um, it's the rules are broken, or our rules don't seem to be working in terms of um, the legislative framework and the sanctions uh, that are afforded to people when they break the OHNS laws and when it all goes horribly wrong and someone is killed. Um, the only Financial penalty, I think, uh, I'll rephrase that. It's very rare that the full financial penalty is ever applied to any employer who goes to court for a workplace fatality. And um, I've done a bit of a paper, but there's a couple of points that that I'll make about fines. Fines don't ensure that offenders restructure their workplace to comply with OHNS standards. Fines only have an impact upon the financial returns of the corporation and not on the motivational behaviour of the responsible managers. Fines do not ensure any disciplinary action is ever taken against those who should be held responsible and accountable, especially in cases where the hazards um, and the risks were previously known. Fines don't require management to review their systems of operation so that the offence will not reoccur. And finally, fines are easily avoided by restructuring the corporate structure or identities or by moving the organisation's assets to other corporate entities. Mm. And I suppose the most insidious thing about fines um, is that we know that some companies will take out insurance. So um, if they do get a heavy financial penalty, they don't pay. It'll be the insurance pays. So in terms of a, um, a punishment or being people being held accountable... I think fines fail that whole notion of, of reflecting um, society's um, uh, intolerance of a workplace fatality. Mm. But the application of fines have been the, the core penalty in OHS for decades. Um, so the, the same situation, the same deficiencies um, have been around forever. Mm. 
what's changed now that's uh, is it that has it been an accumulation of frustration that that sort of got to a point where we said financial fines monetary penalties aren't working aren't achieving change we've got to do something different and the trade union movements decided the industrial manslaughter laws is the strategy so mm. my question is um, is it, is it would it be a successful strategy and why that strategy now I think um, we had this debate back when we did the OHS Act review for the 2004 Act. Mm. Um, and, and it's almost there was this, um, not patronising, but, but um, approach by the government and I think the WorkSafe Authority at that time, which said, no, 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 we, we know best. Um, I don't think they do know best in the sense that, as I said, fines haven't prevented the fatalities occurring and, and there's little disincentive to do the right thing. Um, and when you look at what's happened in the UK, where they brought in uh, industrial or a, a type of industrial manslaughter, um, the ACT have brought it in. Queensland have now um, introduced an industrial manslaughter bill. Um, had the Labor government in South Australia won, they mm. um, had said that they would bring it in. Like Tasmania might have done something too. Tasmania, yeah. I think, were looking mm. at it. Mm. Um, although they were going to, again, if the Tasmanian Labor government had got in. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's, um, I think it's, it, it will be um, inevitable that they will have to bring in some type of industrial manslaughter um, simply because when you kill someone, uh, through your in actions or actions, you should be held accountable. And like we said before, the monetary penalties don't seem to be able to do that to such an extent where people are, for want of a better word, frightened of the outcomes. Um, there's no disincentive to, to play. People play a game of probability mm. with workers' lives. Um, and we've, we've seen that time and time and time again. And uh, when it all goes horribly wrong, those people should be held to account. Mm. But the, um, the legislative structure <clears throat> um, is, is been created to allow for that probability. I would argue that it encourages it in terms of having a, um, a vague line of compliance, is that uh, we've actually got a situation where we... We can encourage people to take the risk because, for, for various reasons, compliance is not a clear definition as it used to be. But also we've got um, uh, a small number of inspectors com comparable to the industry. We've got uh, prosecutions, although Victoria does a lot of prosecutions comparable to the other states. It's still unlikely that you'll be prosecuted. It just seems to me that we're jumping to an industrial manslaughter uh, aim on, a, on a, a dodgy foundation of still a lot of unlikelihoods that are going to get to the point. So we're sort of arguing on industrial manslaughter with a, with a, a low chance of, it ever, of the process getting through to that point. So I, I suppose we're focusing on industrial manslaughter as being an ultimate deterrent, so there's an, you know, increased incentives, but it hasn't changed or it won't change the likelihood of being prosecuted or the likelihood of being inspected or necessarily 
and I don't think that was that's the intention of having it in. I think the intention is having um, the ultimate penalty for someone who, through their action or inaction, um, that has resulted in a workplace fatality. Mm-hmm. It's it's not about well there'll be more prosecutions. WorkSafe do, and they keep telling us they do a lot of prosecutions. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I run a red light in my car and I kill someone through my action, it might not be deliberate, I might have been in a hurry, um, whatever. I can lose my licence and I can go to jail. If I am caught drink driving or I have had far too much drink and I jump in my car and I kill someone in my car, I will go to jail. If I'm an employer and I kill one of my workers through not doing what I should have done, I'll get a fine. And most likely it'll be around about the $50,000 mark. Mm. Maybe. Um, Why would I even consider if I'm that type of employer with the mindset of, I'll just do it anyway, because it doesn't matter. If, if, If I get caught, the worst that could happen to me is a financial penalty. Mm. Okay, so uh, so and you're not the only unionist who's made the, that argument about comparison. Mm. Is uh, and, and I accept that. Um, so what? So we're bringing well, not necessarily the laws of industrial manslaughter, but we're bringing in the penalty. Yeah, the penalty that, to make it comparable to taking the life of somebody else mm. through negligence through in negligence. your cars or whatever yeah. else. So I, I can understand that point. Um, and I think it needs to be made. What I, when I asked you before about what's changed, what's made it now the right time to try to have campaign mm. for this, um, I would say that it's an acknowledgement by the trade union movement that, that hasn't been able to get traction in the level of change of inspectors, prosecutions, enforcement policies, and all of those sorts of things at the, the front line of, of uh, health and safety regulation and enforcement. And therefore, your best opportunity is to be able to get to industrial manslaughter. It's almost an admission that the, we haven't been able to affect and improve the processes. I don't know. I, I think, um, I mean, I was looking through some of the, some of the stats from Safe Work Australia the other day. I think it's from 2007 to 2016. Um, Victorian construction in- industry had 70 fatalities. I think it's an acknowledgement that it's enough. You know, we live in the so-called clever age of technology and systems. We live in an age of 2018 and we're still killing people. Um, and I'll use our industry, the construction industry, we're still killing people on site totally unnecessarily, completely avoidable. Um, We're actually still exposing workers to insidious amounts of asbestos, unprotected. Mm. Um, And and there's a case we're dealing with now where uh, these workers, the employer knowingly had them drill, cut and sand asbestos-containing rendered walls because they admitted that they knew they had their scientific tests they didn't tell anybody. They knowingly allowed them to bash through asbestos-containing um, cement sheet walls. Didn't tell them that they were asbestos cement sheet walls. And, and these people now are, are on a time bomb. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the year 2018, when someone gets killed at work and 
um, an employee can just walk away and go, oh, well, um, you know, so I think some people still see it as a cost of doing business in our industry. Mm. I, I don't know if it's an acknowledgement that, oh, you know, we, we need to have more prosecutions and, and we've failed to, to improve the overall standard. And I, I think we have improved the overall standard. I think it's now an acknowledgement that we've had enough and it has to stop. And, you know, we've got the International Memorial Day coming up uh, this Friday on the 27th. We're going to be standing in the exact spot we were standing last year and we will call out, I don't know how many names, but already in this year up to April, I think it's been nine people Mm. killed in Victoria. That's appalling. That's just obscene. And there's nine families who are never going to be the same. And when you sit with some of the families, which we have done only a couple of weeks ago, it's devastating. And they look into your eyes and they say, why? There was the systems in place. People knew what to do. Why didn't they just do it? And we've got to say, we don't know. Mm. I know because people have just played that game of probability. Yeah. And if, if it takes someone going to jail for someone to say, I think I'll put away my dice and I'll do the right thing, that'll be the success. Well, I mean, so many of the, uh, the situations, the, the, so many of the answers to the why did it happen is it because the, the employer decided that your partner's life was worth less than, than a deadline or a profit. Yeah. So uh, I think that's the, it's, it, there's, no, yeah. there's no comfort in that, no. um, but that's, that's the reality. Yeah. Um, the ACT um, has had uh, industrial manslaughter on their books for a long time, and I remember the um, uh, when it came in, you know, the sky would fall and, yeah. and it would just be atrocious. It took over ten years for a uh, uh, a prosecution to be pursued under industrial manslaughter laws. Given that people want to see comparable penalties and they want to see some justice and um, um, what's going to happen after industrial manslaughter laws if they are brought in in Victoria is it are we going to have every workplace incident sort of saying oh we've got industrial manslaughter laws we've got to charge it with industrial manslaughter how do you think it would play out because I can't see once the laws come in that the community is going to be tolerant of a decade wait before the first prosecution, I I hope it would work some something like the road rules. Mm. You know, if there is a case of negligence, and I think that's what we would be looking for the uh, not the sort of reckless endangerment as it is now. That's mm. a very large burden of proof, and it's very difficult to prove. But if there's gross negligence of someone not doing something or someone doing something. And, and it should be based on those in control of the workplace. So those who, who are, have control of that workplace, who are in the driver's seat, for want of mm. a better word, those who make the decisions, if they're found by their actions or inactions, that calls that person, they should be held accountable. Mm. And I, I don't think, I mean, there's a, a few academics said that, you know, um, and again, the threat of imprisonment is, is a far greater deterrent than the non-threat, but mm. they've also found out that... Um, Part, you know, the threat of prosecution generally leads to thoughts of self-protection mm. and then it keeps the manager's mind firmly focused on safety. The threat, of the, the threat of the prosecution generally encourages and dictates that managers be much more vigilant with their documentation. 
including writing things down. So if they're going to say to someone, you do that work, I know it's unsafe, mm. you know, and it's written down, well, that's going to really make, make them think. Mm. Um, and the threat of that prosecution will generally make managers um, ensure that all their employees and their sub-managers implement and abide by the agreed rules and procedures. Mm. Now, that's a really good starting point. Will there be a prosecution um, immediately after it's brought in? I'd hope not, because that means someone's had to die. You know, I'd much rather not have any prosecutions, <laughs> which yeah. would hopefully mean there'd be no fatalities. Mm. We know there are going to be fatalities because of the way our society works. Mm. We know people will still drink drive. We know people will still run the red light. We know, especially building workers, someone's going to die because, um, you know, time and money... And, mm. and a whole range of variables all come into play. It shouldn't. Mm. You know, we were talking about the chap who was who was uh, building his house on one of those um, architectural home shows, mm. and it's taken him ten years, um, and he's done it really slowly. Mm. I know the commercial reality; you can't do that. But the time frames of some of our commercial buildings, um, we know, and the builders know, they can't compete or complete that mm. project in that amount of time, but they still sign on. Mm. And they talk about, you know, people doing their due diligence and their risk asset. Your due diligence should say, we can't do it. It's impossible. Oh, well, we can't do it safely. We can't do it safely that in that, that time. time frame. And yep. that has to change somehow. Mm. And, and I think the regulator should have a, a bigger role to play, mm. uh, whether they will or not, because I think the regulators drop the ball in terms of compliance and enforcement. I don't think they um, apply the intent of their, their own compliance and enforcement policy. I don't think they actually um, represent the full intention of that compliance and enforcement policy. And, and the thing about, um, in, in our industry, there's a, a compliance tool which they call voluntary compliance. Mm. That's got a, probably a little role to play. But when you have um, in our industry, like this is from WorkSafe's own stats, that from Ju July 2016 to June 2017, um, in the general and civil infrastructure sectors of our construction industry, WorkSafe issued only 27 prohibition notices, but 694 voluntary compliances. Now, that is an industry where it is high risk, it is one of only three regulated industries in the state and we know people die, and they've only issued 27 prohibition notices, mm. which says we must be travelling so well that we don't need to do anything else. Mm. We know that's not the case, but they go and give 694 voluntary compliances. Now, we've challenged WorkSafe because depending upon who you ask, the voluntary compliances are very difficult to drill down into data to see what's really happening in the industry. Mm because they don't seem to keep the data to say it was a voluntary compliance for, for falls, for electrical, yeah. for cranes, for whatever it is. Um, and we have the same builders getting voluntary compliances for the same issues time and time and time again. Something's not right. Mm. So they need to take a, a much stronger enforcement approach. There is always a role, we know, for training and education.
But you could imagine the public uproar if the same driver keeps being caught for drink driving or keeps being caught going through red lights and all the police say is, go on our website mm. and there's a great uh, guidance note on how to drive safely. Mm. And that's what we're kind of left with. So uh, let me um, uh, take the, the driving uh, comparison as, as a discussion point here. <clears throat> the UK experience seems to be on industrial manslaughter that um, uh, medium-sized companies and small companies are, um, are being prosecuted on this rather than the intended target of the large corporations. It's easier to provide uh, to, to identify negligence in the car driver because you've got one driver, and so it's a much easier uh, thing to prove. <clears throat> Multiple drivers in large corporations and in contractor management and in the construction industry. Um, how are we going to be able to cut through into that um, to that uh, to the decision makers um, if if it's so complex to prove it's this has been a barrier in the past on also on reckless endangerment and a whole raft of other high penalty high consequence actions how will industrial manslaughter cut through this it's always going to be a problem I think in trying to prove that that CEO knew exactly what was going on and we're seeing that in the bank's Royal Commission now um, but eventually someone needs to be held accountable and if I'm a CEO of a company and and I don't know what my subordinates are doing I'm responsible mm. I need to know I don't need to know every time they turn a page every time there's a in the construction side of things every time a pot of soil's turned over or a floor's been poured but I need to know that um, I have people who understand their systems at work. I need to know that there is adequate supervision on all my sites. I need to know that all my people have been trained in not just construction management, but the safety and the implementation of those systems. I need to know that those systems are up to date. Um, I should know, and I, I, I must know, that I've got the right people for the job. And if I don't, I wouldn't be much of a CEO. Mm. You know, CEOs are, there's, there's no real qualification for any CEO. They're generally great storytellers and mm. fundraisers. And, but they really need to, to do a lot better. And it'll be interesting to see what happens in the ACT because there's the multiplex, I think, ACT mm. CEO who's been charged. Now, I'm not across that case, and but I'll, I'll, I'll be very interested to, to see what kind of... Um, approach or road that goes down in terms of evidence and, and, and what what they should know and what they don't know. Mm. And, and I think the whole problem with our construction industry is maybe our supervisors aren't adequately supervised. It's the old thing, mm. who's auditing the auditor? Yeah. Who's supervising the supervisors? Who's mm. making sure that they understand completely? Have, have I got the right people? Have they got the right experience? Mm. Have they had the right training? You know, we keep hearing safety's our number one priority. <laughs> it's not. It's Profit's got to be the number one priority for any organisation. Mm. That's fine. Safety should be a real big part of that. Yeah. A real big part of that. Yeah. One of the... Um, we've got a lot of 
there's a growing trend in the community that we've lost uh, faith and trust in institutions that um, uh, used to uh, keep us safe and, uh, and regulate all sorts of business activities. Um, there's a lot of people who are um, looking, f well, not looking forward to, they're, look they're not looking to the immediate regulator for satisfaction and justice. They're quite often um, because the, uh, the regulator might choose not to prosecute, but the death would still get investigated through a coronial yeah. process. People seem to be having more faith in other systems of investigation, royal commissions, coronial inquiries, boards of inquiry, rather than the regulators. How can we get regain the faith and how can regulators regain the trust of the community and the union movement um, in terms of keeping workers safe? Oh, I think they have to go out there and do all the hard work. As I said before, you know, having so many voluntary compliances mm. sends a message to a builder. And I, I think we're, we're breeding an underclass of builder who says, well, if I get caught not doing the right thing, so I don't have scaffolded to provide edge protection, mm -hmm. I don't put proper traffic management out to protect both my workforce uh, or the public, um, I, I, I don't get that asbestos removed, I just work with it. Um, if they get caught, they're going to get a voluntary compliance. Mm. Or high chances are they'll get a voluntary compliance, which means that, um, listen, you can't do that, you better um, fix it up straight away. Oh, okay, that's fine. Now, um, you know, if people want to get, get trust back into the regulator, they need to start putting on notices and they need mm. to start stopping the work. So they've got the, the inspectors and the inspectorates have the tools. They've they got, need to use the tools. the tools. They've got to apply the tools. And, and I think the, the, the builders and, and employers understand that what, I think what it means when an inspector comes to your site. So um, they're not going to be offended no. when an inspector says, oh, you've got to do this, that and the other, because, well, that's the inspector's they used doing to They used to understand, I think, and mm. they used to have a lot more respect. Mm. And I think they would get that respect back if they said, you know what? Um, Mr. Ayers Builders, your site's going to stop now and I'm going to issue these notices. When you've fixed it all up, you call me and I'll come back and we'll reopen the site. Mm. Now, that used to happen and, and there used to be a bit of, not, not so much fear, but respect where the workers or the OHS rep or the union officials would say, I'm going to call WorkSafe. And it would always be, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on, you don't have to go that far. That's not necessary. Now we say we're going to call WorkSafe and they say, oh no, they were here yesterday. Here's the notice they gave us or here's the entry report. Or they were here yesterday, it's none of your business, bugger off. And you're almost left there scratching your hard hat <laughs> because you're not quite sure what they did. You're not quite sure where they looked. And, you know, we, we I say that... The construction site's a bit like a jigsaw puzzle. So many pieces. They all fit together eventually. But often um, we're finding the regulator will only look at one particular piece, but not how the piece fits in the jigsaw. So they'll look through the keyhole, mm. but they'll get a very uh, blinkered vision rather than opening up the whole door and going, oh, that's what's happening. Mm. So that piece fits with that piece, and then when those two pieces come together, that goes over on that piece... 
so they, they kind of look at things in isolation or in their terminology silos mm. rather than the whole picture and I think some of the problems are they've got what they call their key performance indicators probably need to be revisited about how they operate and I think it's also uh, and it's like any organisation they, they go through cycles of losing um, a lot of experience mm. so they've got some, some young people there's some still really talented incredibly smart people <coughs> in WorkSafe don't get me wrong, but I think um, their, their key performance indicators probably need to be revised and, and, and restructured. And I think their whole approach, especially in the construction industry, um, it, it needs to be revisited in terms of what they're looking at and how they're looking at it, and then what they do if there are things wrong. And the perfect example is, you know, the, the demolition site in North Melbourne mm. which collapsed and, 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 you know, the poor worksafe bloke was there almost supervising. Mm. And, you know, that's probably unfair on him, but it's, it's a perfect example to say that site should have been stopped before it got to that point. Yeah. Just should have been stopped. Mm. Now, I don't know whether he was, he was young, he was inexperienced, but worksafe need to look at who's doing what and how they're doing, how they mentor their people, mm. what expertise they've got. And they've got a lot of different subsectors of our industry. You know, there's asbestos, there's former, there's cranes, mm. there's, um, there's precast panels, there's block laying, there's all these subsectors. Um, I don't know if they've got the expertise currently in that inspectorate to make the value judgments mm. that they need to. Uh, let me then uh, talk about work in the industrial manslaughter context. Industrial manslaughter laws is a is a, an option to pursue to prosecute, yeah. but the prosecution would be undertaken by the Work Cover Authority or the OHS regulator. That's what we're not sure yet. Okay. So the model that I mean, and we need to sit down with you know, well I don't, but the trades hall would, would be sitting down with uh, lawyers and legal experts to figure out what kind of model is it best to do it just through WorkSafe? Mm. Is it just best to do it through the DPP? Is it best to have a, a bit of a combination yeah. of both? Um, do we follow the UK model? Do we follow the Queensland model? I, I think we would be best to look at the best of, of all of those models and, and come up with a really good system. And you're right. Just because you have industrial manslaughter rules doesn't necessarily mean you're going to use it every time for every case. Every, every case has to be judged on its merits with the evidence and what you find in the investigation. And, and I think that's a really important point as well because um, we're getting sometimes that WorkSafe will take a one-sided version over the phone about an incident. They won't attempt to verify or validate what they've been told by an employer mm. over the phone. So instead of then phoning up the OHS rep, if they know this one, or instead of... I don't know how, how they do this, but tease out some other really pertinent questions. It's, it's taken for granted that what they're being told is actual yes. fact. And it, we've come across a lot of cases where it's not always factual. Mm. Not so much lies, but it's quite a misrepresentation of the events. Um, and I think that needs to be looked at because, again, people lose faith when there's a serious incident. We had one recently where a, a headache boy hit the top of the alley mat, really damaged it. Um, the employer said oh, it was just a chain just hitting it on the edge. So the WorkSafe inspector said, I don't need to come out. Mm. 
we got out there straight away. Our people called WorkSafe Demander. They came out and they put prohibition notices on the Alimac, on the crane, had to get rid engineers in. Mm-hmm. That was a perfect example of a complete misrepresentation of the factual events. And, and that needs to be looked at about how they actually, um, I think in their words, triage incidents when they get only a verbal over the phone by one party. Yeah, it always surprises me that the regulators, and I've mentioned this to uh, to various organisations and regulators, is um, they rely on only words when um, <coughs> the vast majority of people in their pocket have the capacity to send a photograph of the potential damage or the, the damage and the incidents that, that's occurred in support of the notification to uh, to work safe. Now I, I know there's still dodgy things you yeah. can do with photographs, mm-hmm. but there's an additional convenient source of information that the regulators can encourage yeah. the notific- notifiers to yeah. provide. And I think if they know, then there's an OHNS rep. They should then phone the OHNS rep, not on the same phone. You don't want to <laughs> speak in the office with the employer, mm-hmm. but the OHS rep should be should have um, the autonomy then to to be spoken to by WorkSafe and saying, well, actually, this is what occurred. You might have been told something. My version of the events is, and if there's a conflict, surely that will be the trigger mm. to then say, we better attend. Don't touch anything. Don't do anything. Um, I, I think WorkSafe are, are too quick to, to quickly tick off in case they upset the builder and rather than just stop, slow down, we'll be out there, we'll have a look. If what you're telling us is true, then sure, you can go back to work. You might lose a couple of hours. So what? And again, if a program can't afford to lose a couple of hours, you have a problem with the program. Mm -hmm. And we shouldn't be overlaying program imperatives, imperative, sorry, over the OHS imperative, Mm -hmm. especially if safety is the priority. The, uh, the Queensland Government, um, uh, a couple of months out from the election, they announced industrial manslaughter <coughs> they were they're intending to bring in. At the same time, they also said that they would be banning um, insurance products that would uh, cover the cost of mm. financial penalties, which you've already met, uh, touched on yeah. before. <coughs> when the Queensland Government uh, <coughs> changed hands, um, it uh, brought in the industrial manslaughter law- laws, but then postponed Oh, okay. the, the banning of the insurance products. Mm. Taking your point earlier that industrial manslaughter laws is uh, will send a message to people, seems to me sensible to also send the, the similar message to people about accountability is that actually those insurance products we think are counterproductive mm. to the message yep. of safety. Um, I haven't heard anything in, uh, in the industrial manslaughter campaign in Victoria about those products. Have you heard anything? Um, is that has that been discussed at all in um, in the the campaign meetings? And it hasn't. Well, not the ones that I've been to. Yeah. Um, and, and this campaign has been and, and it's been run a fantastic campaign by the trade hall, and so we're just um, a part of it. Yep. Um, I haven't heard anything about that, um, but I, I think you know it, it's an abhorrent thought that people will ensure. Um, corporations to to absorb the cost if there is someone who is killed at work. Mm. I think moral, it's morally reprehensible and it's ethically bankrupt. Uh, on, on the people that take out the insurance yeah. but, um, that, the, that insurance companies would offer mm. these products, 
yeah. is also reflective of, of them. Um, I just wanted to quickly mention um, the, the Royal Commission into Banking and Financial Industry in, Victoria, in Australia is revealing enormous malfeasance and illegal activity and immoral and unethical practices uh, yeah. in large <laughs> institutions. Um, I, I suspect that that's going to have a much, much, much broader uh, impact on corporations. Mm. Um, do you do you share that and do you see that safety <coughs> might get some benefit from this or is it going to stay within the financial risk management you know mm. silos of corporations i um i really hope it does get get a uh, a bigger um play or bigger guernsey if you like and and it does kind of um then flow on to the ITNS side of things um you know, we, there, there, there's a moral and a social obligation when we're talking about keeping people safe and healthy at work. There's an ethical obligation, and then I think there's a social responsibility. And I've given a couple of lectures about social philosophy um, because you can have the act, you can have the legislation, you can have the legislative framework in place, you can have the penalties such as industrial manslaughter, um, but ultimately it is up to individuals who are part of an organisation. The ethical obligation is part of what people call the culture and, and I'm not a great fan of that term because I think it's, it's a bit like that term blaming the worker, it's, it's the culture of the organisation, it's always the culture. Uh, well, Andrew, a culture has no face, a culture uh, has no person. And it's a collective role anyway. <clears throat> I mean, Andrew Hopkins, I think, put it best, and I think it's even in the uh, Book of Knowledge. There's so many different definitions of culture, you can't pin it down, like mm. you've just said. So um, I'm a bit like him. I, I'd much prefer it just to say it's management practices. So if you have good management practices, you'll have good outcomes. Don't worry about the culture. The culture will look after itself, whatever that is. Mm. Okay. But um, the moral obligation of individuals is very important, but I think it's it's the... It's the organisation which will allow those moral obligations to be either uh, freely um, expressed or suppressed. Mm -hmm. So if the management practices don't allow someone to speak freely and say, that's wrong, I know what the legislation says, you know, I know that we don't have to provide fall protection until two metres, but here's a 1.9 metre fall, <laughs> we need to put a handrail there because there's some starter bars here. That's mm -hmm. a pretty... Yeah, glib example, I know. But if, if the organisation then doesn't allow that person to make that moral um, and social responsible call, then that's a problem. So there's a, an ethical obligation, there's a moral obligation, and there's the legal obligation. If we can just perhaps hopefully focus on the bank's moral obligation and ethical obligation, if that can flow through, I think it should have a... a could have, I'm not sure, it, it could have... A much better effect on the OHS outcomes. Mm. I'll wait and see. Mm. Well, I, I'm hopeful. Mm. Um, so, industrial manslaughter laws then are, in to a large extent, uh, a catch-up, um, bringing uh, business attitudes and and uh, and people's expectations um, up to the standards of what the community expects. Um, in that. Uh, 
some equitability yeah. on um, on penalties and consequences of your actions. I suppose if, if laws meant to be a reflection of society's values, then I think the natural progression and the natural outcome is industrial manslaughter laws. Mm. Because when you speak to people who have lost their loved ones in a workplace accident, it's abhorrent. There's a heinous event which has taken place and society should be saying, it's wrong, no more. And I think until we do that, and this is one way to reflect society's values, because in no other other um, approach in, in life are you allowed to kill someone and just walk away with a fine. Thanks, Jerry. Pleasure. Well, you've been listening to uh, the interview that I conducted with Dr. Jerry Ayres of the CFMEU. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. I think uh, Jerry's uh, responses showed a really good mix of both a, a legal awareness, but also the the, the social license and of companies and the uh, context, the social context of uh, where health and safety laws sit and particularly the issue of industrial manslaughter I think the uh, the point he was trying to make of the uh, equitability of uh, penalties and of the consequences of fatalities is uh, is well worth giving some more thought to but anyway that's the end of this uh, episode of the safety at work talks podcast um, I hope you've liked it the uh, transcript of <coughs> this uh, this interview is already up at the Safety at Work blog. Uh, that's uh, if you just search on Safety at Work blog, I'm sure that you'll get to the right page. Um, my name's been Kevin Jones. It's been a pleasure to um, record this podcast for you and to interview Jerry. I hope to speak to you very, very soon. Bye bye.